Welcome to another edition of Security Clearance Podcast. I'm Frank Rizzo, and today we're discussing jobs, specifically jobs in cybersecurity. And we are lucky enough to be joined by Dr. Mansur Hasib, the Program Chair for Cybersecurity Technology Program at the University of Maryland University College. Dr. Hasib, we know that the cyber job market is strong today, and do you expect that to continue? Yes, I do believe it should continue because a lot of people don't understand cybersecurity, and one of the things that cybersecurity is is truly the digital strategy for any organization. And as organizations start to realize that digital strategy is their mission driver, the demand for these kinds of people are are more likely to grow because without digital strategy today, you do not have an organization. You cannot even run organization without a proper digital strategy. Is that something that's lacking in the job market right now is someone who's, who's truly good at digital strategy? Yes, because one of the issues is that if you, if you look at the M- MBA schools, which is where we're truly trying to prepare executives for organizations, most MBA curriculum does not even tackle IT or digital strategy. It's primarily financial strategy is what they're teaching. So it's a very obsolete program, most MBA programs. Now, if you look at most IT and cybersecurity programs, they're not teaching you business. So there's a, there's a huge gap there. And so organization or, or curriculum where this holistic approach where you're teaching business professionals who can truly lead digital strategy, when those organizations start to prepare candidates, those candidates are in huge demand. That's sort of the way we prepare our students. Okay, so the digital strategist, is that the specific role you think will, will grow the fastest, or what, what specific roles in cyber do you expect to grow? Well, everything will grow, but the, but the dramatic demand is going to be for the digital strategist. That's, that's what our master's program, our graduate program, is designed to prepare students for. We have a huge leadership problem, because if you look at all the breaches and everything, it may appear as though there was a technology issue, but it was almost never the technology. It was always governance, leadership, and strategy that was lacking. In many of these organizations where you had a breach, they didn't even have a cybersecurity officer. They didn't have a chief information officer. They didn't have a chief information security officer. So that's where the biggest problem is. You can hire plenty of talented people out there, but how do you harness that? So it's like, think about, you can have a whole bunch of talented people, but somebody's got to be the glue. So is that where the accusation of a skills gap comes in? The, the higher-ups, the, the MBA guys are are blaming the security guys for this when it's really a leadership thing, not a, a cybersecurity or personnel thing? Absolutely astute observation, yes. Because the, in, the, in the hierarchy today, what you have at the highest levels of organizations are typically people who are very finance-oriented, and they often have not been prepared for digital strategy. And when they're hiring people, they're not even really hiring digital strategists. They're hiring tech jocks, thinking cybersecurity is a technology issue. They forget that cybersecurity is actually a business issue. And so they're hiring, or they may be buying tools, okay, thinking, okay, as soon as I buy the tool, it's going to fix my problem for me. But you see, tool becomes obsolete the day you implement it, unless somebody is constantly updating it and making it more modern and 
ever-changing, you basically a sitting duck, right? Anything that does not innovate is a sitting duck. So technology becomes obsolete the day you start to implement it. So who innovates and who keeps up with this technology? It's humans. And so therefore, and that kind of talent, the innovative talent, is not like an everyday thing. I mean, you have to hire the right people that are truly passionate about it, innovative about it. They're not just operating things. They're constantly thinking, how do I make it better? How do I make this better? And then they are led by people who are also strategists, who are looking out for the future. So technology is not the wheel. There's always a way to improve or redesign and, and get better with technology, while the wheel is the wheel. It's, it's pretty much perfect the way it was. Yeah, exactly. If you think about if you think about it, what are the hackers or the people that are trying to get into your system doing? They are innovative like crazy. So let's say you have the rock solid system. Well, it's rock solid today, and that's what typically compliance is. So, but you keep it static. Well, the the people that are trying to get into your system, they're going to figure out a way to get in. But if you are constantly changing that environment and you're monitoring that environment, you're being innovative or you're throwing in false routes for these hackers to get into and you're befuddling them, now you have a better strategy. If you think about it, it's, a, it's the same kinds of things as if you engage in, in, in normal warfare too. I mean, the more you're able to fool the people that are trying to attack you, the better you will be at it, right? Right. So. This is nothing different. It, I mean, the same concepts of innovation and constantly changing applies to this discipline also. So how do you train someone to do this, or is it a, is it a matter of just finding the, the right person? Well, that's, that's why you need this executive-level training. So as part of our training, what we, what we do in our... So a lot of people, when they come to our graduate program, they ask me, what tools are we going to learn? I said, okay... We are not in the business of teaching you tools. The tools are used in the classrooms. The tools are used in our labs. But simply to help you understand some concepts and to understand why you would use some tools versus another tool, we would teach you how to, how to compare and contrast tools. So the whole thing that we teach is the critical thinking, the, the higher-level strategic thinking, understanding what is the mission that we're trying to achieve. And then also communication. So let's say you have a strategy or you have an idea. Well, you have to sell that idea to all the executives in the company. Your risks. Your risks have to be translated into mission risks, business risks, financial risk in financial terms. Then your mitigation costs have to be explained in financial terms because you're not going to spend a million dollars to mitigate a risk that is only $100,000. Right? So everything has to be translated into financial terms. And then at the end of the day, you have some risk left over. That's what is called residual risk. Once again, your executive body, executive team have to understand, this is my residual risk, and here's why we did it. So again, it's a strategy. And then you also have a path forward. Okay, this is what we're doing for year one because this is what we can afford in year one. Year two, we're going to do more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and you keep going. So again, you have a roadmap and a strategy, and then you also observe, is your strategy working? 
and you adjust accordingly. Those are all digital strategist jobs, and that, those are the kinds of things that we teach. Can you teach it? Of course you can teach it. You're the cyber chair at a major university. How important is it to make sure that the young men and women that are leaving your university are properly trained to be successful in cybersecurity? Oh, absolutely. I mean, incredibly, incredibly important. And that is why what we have done at, at UMUC is we have completely started to transform our t- teaching model. It was already one of the best in the world, but now what we're doing is in every class, people don't don't just come and learn a whole bunch of things and then you, they have a test and then they graduate. No, they actually apply what they have learned to build projects. So they actually end up doing projects. The other thing is we don't want to test people on where they started. We want to test people on where they ended up. So what happens in a traditional classroom is that you take a test Let's say you misunderstood the question, or you even write a paper and you misunderstood the question. Well, guess what? You may end up getting a failing grade C, whatever. Now, in our program, you get three attempts at every project because we understand that at the very first attempt, you may, be, you may have misunderstood the question and so on and so forth. So the faculty member now can coach you based upon your first attempt how to take you to further and further higher levels of thinking. Even if you ended up with a superb response and a project outcome, faculty member still works with you and takes you even higher. So that's the beauty of a program like this. By the end of the day, after they've gone through the graduate program, they should be able to go to any organization, conduct the same level of analysis and thinking. They should be able to apply their thinking in any organization. So it's not tool-specific, it's not sector-specific. We're literally trying to create the leaders of the future. I know the university has a number of online and distance learning programs. Would you recommend those programs to individuals who are looking to start a career in cyber? Oh, absolutely, because if you think about it, today all programs are not available everywhere. If you, if you again, once again, so what? One, another thing that UMUC has done is we have brought the classroom to the student. So instead of the students having to go physically to a classroom, we have developed these virtual classrooms which are rich in learning. The other thing we have done is in these virtual classrooms, we have put all the primary content. If you think about it, a faculty member giving the same lecture semester after semester after semester, term after term after term, in a face-to-face classroom where the, the professor is providing the primary content in that lecture format, that's not the essence of graduate learning. The essence of graduate learning, you see, that lecture can be canned, right? You mm-hmm. can look, watch a video or do reading. No, the goal of a faculty is to bring their practical experience into the classroom so that, okay, you, now you've read the content, you've read the material, you've done your homework, and then you apply the project and you're learning then you attempt to do the project that you would do in real life. Now the faculty member, who's also a practitioner, a scholar, can work with you on that project and say, hey, this is how I would have approached it because this is how I did it in so-and-so company, and work with the student on the skill set. So I think that that is not really possible in a pure face-to-face environment. Let's say you have the pure face-to-face environment. Well, where are you going to upload all that 
work that you just did, you see? And, and, and the way we are doing it, you can be anywhere in the world. You, you, you can work with us uh, with this technology. We do video conferencing. We, we do audio conferencing, just like the way you and I are talking today. The same way we are leveraging technology to train literally thousands of people with very high-quality education at the same time. Right now, for example, our, our cybersecurity program, combining the graduate and the undergraduate level, we have about 12,000 students. That's the largest cybersecurity program in the world today. What are some of the hindrances on attracting new talent into a, a job in cybersecurity? Okay. First of all, the issue is that cybersecurity is often misunderstood. Uh, people think that you need to do programming or you need to be a tech jock to enter into cybersecurity. They forget that cybersecurity is so interdisciplinary that anybody can enter cybersecurity field because we will need politicians, we will need psychologists, we need lawyers, we need political scientists, we need sociologists, all kinds of people in the field. And, and so one, the first thing is to help people understand that it is an interdisciplinary field. For example, my own background. My bachelor's degree is in economics, my master's degree is in political science, and my doctoral degree is in cybersecurity. So that actually set me on, on the right path to have this very interdisciplinary outlook on anything and to help organizations with the digital strategy. In my early parts of the career, when I had to literally help people understand why they need to build networks well, I had to explain it in financial terms, in strategy terms, so the economics and the political science background gave me both the economic thinking as well as the political science communication skills to help people understand my strategy. And so in terms of helping people get into the field, that is one of the first things we have to do, is make people understand that it doesn't matter what your prior background was, if you want to work in this field, you can. That's the first thing. The second thing is in the recruitment also, companies do not understand that when they are asking for skill sets, they really need to be also willing to retrain a person on the specific things that they might be using because it doesn't matter where, I mean, what a person has already learned. The moment they come to your organization, that a lot of the technology skills are probably going to be obsolete right then and there because if you think about it, technology is changing so fast that you shouldn't be looking for specific technology skills. See what the person can learn. Does the person have the capacity for perpetual, perennial learning? Because without that, you will never succeed. So that is the other problem that we have in the, in the marketplace. Many of the hiring people are looking for such specific skills, literally purple squirrels, and often advertising such low pay that it becomes very hard for them to attract the right people. And people who are truly smart, who are truly adaptable, well, they have, rightfully so, they also demand higher compensation because compensation needs to be fair and ethical. And that's why there's, there's a huge competition right now Dr. Azeev, between the government and the commercial sector, how can the government be more competitive when it comes to 
the pay scale. I mean, they, they're working with obviously a limited budget when the commercial side could afford to buy a purple squirrel if they could find it. Well, actually, the, the government side, well, first of all, they're, the, the government whole recruitment process is pretty cumbersome because one of the things that, that I actually, even when I was in the job market, I saw that even if you were to be interviewed or recommended, the whole hiring process is almost a year. Well, which candidate literally can wait for a year for a job? Okay. Then this whole security clearance process is also another roadblock. Then they have computer screening on these lengthy, what do they call them, ECQs and all these things, that you, essays that you have to write for. Most people are never going to write that. So you have to streamline the hiring process. The commercial hiring process most often is just a simple resume that you put in. They don't even require a particular format even, right, because they're looking for bright, smart people who don't really have the time to fill out a massive application and write 8,000 word essays. Right. So, so, so that has to be, I mean, you have to be, if, you're, if you want to hire good people, you have to make the path easy for them. Right now, the way it is, the right qualified people would often get screened out even at the initial process because they've automated the screening process. So even the referral will never occur. Okay? And when the referral occurs, the interview may not happen. So, all kinds of gotchas in the process. How can you make it attractive? Well, streamline it. Make people feel welcome. Because right now, it seems like the process is forcing people not to apply. So do you see a lot of candidates that are, that are completely qualified, but they're, just, they're not interested in a government job because of the background investigation process? I don't think the background investigation process is, a, is an issue for most people. But just the whole application process is pretty cumbersome. And on top of that, if you think about it, one of the selling points of federal government jobs or government jobs having a lower salary range was the job security aspects. Well, as the government job security aspects disappear, which has been happening because in the past you never heard, used to hear about government layoffs. Well, now government layoffs are pretty common. If you look at the if you look at the retrenchment that happened over the last even eight years, there's been massive government shrinkage and layoffs in the government. So once you remove that, well, you're really no longer a... I mean, you're n no longer compensating job security for lower compensation. So therefore, now you have to be more competitive. So if you really want good people, and you're, you're not even providing job security, we'll better be competitive in salaries, right? Because so, in the private sector, people don't have job security either. So you're now the same way. So you've got you to gotta raise your salaries too. If someone listening right now is currently in the job market for a cybersecurity job, certifications, do those help or do they need to be sponsored by an employer? Certifications are certainly helpful but I would say more than certifications, an educational background and some experience is helpful. But let's say the person doesn't have experience. Well, the educational background will often give the person the communication skills that are needed to be successful at the job interview. So certifications can be helpful because they do demonstrate that, okay, your skills are up to date. 
I, for example, have always maintained certifications that were current for the time. So in the 1990s, I used to have different certifications. Now I have other certifications that are more current. So I think depending on what certifications people have, it may or may not make a difference. But I think the most important thing I would look at if I was hiring somebody is not necessarily certifications. It's how do they think on the job? How do they react when a problem is being present is presented to them? Because we want thinking people. Because see, cybersecurity is a almost like a situational leadership kind of a position, and it, you have to have tremendous problem-solving skills. That's what we're looking for. People who who can look at a problem and say, "Okay, how do I solve this?" and go in a direction where nobody else has gone before. So how do you show that on a resume? Through accomplishments. What have you done? What problems have you solved? So even when we coach our students for building their professional brand, we coach them on showing on your brand how you solve problems. What problems did you solve? Did you maintain a uptime of 100% or 99.99%? Show that. Did you reduce costs somehow? Did you increase revenue somehow? So quantifying those numbers rather than just showing pure skills of what you know is much better to show some accomplishments. Now, that's the first time I've, I've heard that phrase, a, a professional brand. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that is very important because if you think about it, right now every person needs to have a professional brand. And right now, because of technology, through LinkedIn, social media, each of us can develop a professional brand for ourselves. And that brand will exist in the digital world, and then people will often seek you out rather than you seeking them out. And so, and, and if within a very short period of time, people can build a global brand if they want to. So that's one of the things that I did. Uh, my brand is of a cybersecurity leader. That's a brand that I've cultivated since, for, for, since I came upon social media and LinkedIn and so on and so forth. So you should be in a, in, a, in a position where if somebody does a Google search in a particular word, you should pop up. And that's one of the things that I've done. For example, if you just go Google and do a search on cybersecurity leader, just the word cybersecurity leader, hopefully my name will pop up. That's what I consider to be building a brand. Super interesting stuff. So if you're looking for a job in cybersecurity, the three things that you need to do in order to land a cybersecurity job and be successful, Dr. Hasib, what are those? I would say have a brand, have an have a elevator pitch, then have the background to prove it, and be share stories about what you have done. So often it's not good enough to say I solved so many problems, but share some stories. Very interesting stuff. Well, Dr. Hasib, thank you for your time today. We certainly appreciate it. This is, uh, this is good stuff, and I'm sure we're all going to go back and listen to this uh, a second time because you gave us tons of great information, and we, we certainly do appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Security Clearance Podcast. For more information, visit our website at clearancejobs.com.